Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Boy, it's good to look out as I stand up here today and see the body of Jesus Christ visibly in front of me. I see the body of Christ, and one of the most beautiful things about the body of Christ is that as we have visiting Christians with us, for this present moment, we are the body of Christ together locally here, even if you come from far away, and we're so glad to have our visitors with us uh, for an extended period of time. The body of Christ was designed by God to operate in this world as Jesus. His hands, his feet, his mind, his will, so that Jesus Christ would have a presence here on this earth. And there's one crucial aspect that we've been trying to say over and over and over, week after week, and that's this. So if you, if you don't get anything else, get this. That the body of Christ is made up of every single member doing its part, being involved, being engaged. And I brought you to Romans chapter 12, zeroing in on verse number one for this particular reason. Paul's teaching us here in Romans chapter 12 how to offer ourselves to God. Every single person, every single member, every single part of the body of Christ must be willing to offer his or herself unto God. And Romans chapter 12 is going to teach us exactly how we do that. He starts off by explaining to us the expectation, you might say. What God really expects us to offer. And if you look down in chapter 12, in the, beginning, in the middle of verse 1, after he appeals to them by the mercies of God, he says, here's what he wants you to offer. Here's the thing that he wants brought to the altar, laid upon the altar, and given in service to God. He says, I want you to present your bodies. God has called us to present our bodies to him. It's kind of a strange statement to present our bodies, but Paul is actually trying to elicit from you. What he's really trying to tie together is what it's like under the old law, and now what it's like under the new law of how we offer an acceptable sacrifice to God. He's saying, I want you to present your bodies. That means a few things. First of all, it means that God wants our availability. You see, this word, present yourself, it's hard to see it in the English translation, but in the original language, it's written in what's called the aortist tense. Verbs have tense, past. We, we have past, present, future, and there's a few others. In the Greek classical language, they had a tense that was called the aortist tense, which meant this, that once it took place, it happened forever. And here's what he's trying to get after. When you present yourself to God, he's saying you do this one time, once for all. So to present yourselves, your body, to God as an acceptable offering, a sacrifice unto God for his service, for his honor, means that when you do that, it's not intermittent. It's not periodic. We don't present ourselves to d today in our gathering 
and then leave here and take ourselves back and uh, run ourselves and manage ourselves without him Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday night comes and we present ourselves and then we back out and then maybe an opportunity to serve comes Thursday or Friday and we present ourselves to serve and then we back back out. What he's saying is when you present yourselves, the moment you became a Christian, you brought yourself to God and you said, I'm yours. I'm available. So God wants our availability. He also wants our awareness. Jeff, can you see if I'm on there, man? There we go. Click. <laughs> Maybe. You know I said awareness, so you know what it is. All right. See if I get hooked up here. Hey, hey, there we go. You didn't see the last one, did you? I got to keep the suspense. All right. <laughs> okay, so he calls for our availability, but also our awareness. You notice he uses the word body. And Paul literally means the physical thing that you're wearing right now, this flesh. It's a very, very earthly, fleshly term. He's saying he wants you to present your body. He uses this to describe what we offer, this physical body. And you see, there's some interesting things about our body. Your body is, first of all, defining where you are. We are not mystical, um, spiritual, just beings that can exist everywhere like God is able to be in all places at all times. We're not able to do that. Our body defines the place where we are. You are right now here. Now, you may not be mentally here. You may be thinking about a different place, but your body right now is defined that you're in this place. And here's what he wants when he says present your bodies. He wants your awareness. He wants you to know where you are and be ready to serve in the place that you are. We live in a world that is full of distractions. Now, I could take a cheap shot at uh, technology. Or I could take a cheap shot at our cell phones. I think that you're probably smart enough to make that connection that where you are with your body is where you're supposed to be. Right? Where you are with your body so if you're with your family, that's where you are. If you're here in the midst of the church, this is where you are. And when God says, present your bodies, what he's saying is, I want your awareness of how can you serve where you are. Satan's masterful tool is distraction away from where you are. Dreaming about different places, different opportunities, different people. And in doing that, all that dreaming, we're missing opportunities to engage and serve where we are. Thirdly, you already know it. He wants our actions. Your body doesn't just represent where you are, but what you do. All the things that you do. Now just think about all the things that your body does in a day or a week. You go to work. Maybe you exercise. Maybe you do some projects around your house. Maybe you play with your children. Or maybe you find uh, different ways that you can serve and uh, contribute to things. When he's saying your actions, your body, I'm asking for all of that. In all the things that you do with your body, your life, I'm asking you to do it to the glory of God. Paul would say it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, what he's saying, whatever you do, do that to the glory of God. So when he says present your bodies once for all, he's asking for your entire existence. So God is not just expecting us to offer our bodies, but there's an actual quality to that. You notice he says, after present your bodies, he says there's a way that he wants you to present your body. Offering ourselves, he says, as a living 
sacrifice. This is the substance of our offering, the quality of our offering. And now, this phrase, living sacrifice, is by nature a paradox. Because sacrifices don't stay alive very long. You think under the Old Testament, they would bring an animal that was alive, and they would bring it to the priest, and as long as that animal was alive and it became a sacrifice, it didn't stay alive very long. It was put to death. It was killed. Its blood was spilled. That dead carcass was then laid upon the altar and offered to God. And once that was done, that offer was there. And he's using that exact language when he says, I want you to present your body a living sacrifice. So in some ways, it's like the old law, but in other ways, it's unlike it. Let me tell you, first of all, he says our offering is supposed to be a living one, a living one. This is why it's kind of unlike the law of Moses. Blood was spilled, animals died, and there's really two ways that this is different. First of all, your offering to God is not for your atonement. Under the old law, when they would bring an animal to the temple or to the tabernacle to be offered, what they were doing was spilling blood to roll forward their sins so that they would have the ability to be pardoned and exist with God in a right relationship. You are not offering your life in service to God so that you can be atoned for your sins. Do you see that? That This is a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Under the old law, blood was spilled so that we could be pardoned. Now, Jesus Christ came as the great sacrifice, the great offering, to put to the end the old system that where blood had to be spilled for the forgiveness of sins because his blood has done that once for all. Now, you and I come as a living sacrifice. That's how it's different. But this sacrifice is not just living. It's also, it really is sacrificial. This is how it's like the law of Moses. Something did die under the law of Moses with sacrifice. And when Paul says, I want you to present your bodies alive, a living, but a sacrifice. There is a death. Now, it's not the death of your existence. What has to die is actually, and I can't believe I'm saying this in 21st century America, but stay with me, okay? Here's what has to die the right you believe you have to live any way you choose. The right you hold to say, I live however I want. That's what has to die. When you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, what you're saying is, I'm not just dying for you, I'm going to be alive for you. I'm going to take my hands proverbically off the wheel and let you drive. Now, this feels like a death. You can amen that too. This feels like a death to our soul, to our spirit, to our uh, nature, because we are autonomous. We want to be autonomous. We want to run our own lives and determine our future. We want to be the captain of our soul and charge forward wherever we want to go and doing whatever we want. We want that. That's, That's sort of bred into us in our sin. We want that life without God. And it feels like a death to let that be put to death, the right to live any way we choose. But on the other side of that death, is zoe, the fullness of life. A living sacrifice comes to God and says, I take my hands off the wheel, where I am, what I do, how I live, where I go, it's yours. I make myself available to you. Now, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you're uh, still working through this as a Christian, you might think, I don't want to give up that kind of freedom. 
That sounds like, you know, being confining. And I don't want to give up that kind of freedom. Let me tell you something. The reality is you are already offering yourself as a sacrifice to something. You are not completely always liberated. This concept of freedom that I am just completely can do whatever I want and I'm independent is not, it doesn't make sense. You are right now offering yourself to something or someone. It might be a career, it might be a financial status, it might be a relationship, it might, whatever it is, what, uh, your reputation, your status, whatever it is, you're offering yourself to something. And whatever you offer yourself to that is not God will eventually end in your demise. Even the greatest relationship, one of you is going to put the other in the grave someday. And it'll disappoint you. And it'll hurt. God is the only thing you can offer yourself to that gives you life. Now we are trying week after week to encourage every person in this body to be involved, to be engaged in the body. Because here's what we believe. That the church is not reserved, the work of the church is not reserved for a few select people. The church, for it to operate properly, needs every part offering itself. There are gifts, talents, abilities that are inside every single person that belongs to the body of Jesus Christ. And we long to see all those come alive. So week after week, what we're wanting to do is alert you to some ways that you can be engaged. Now, Matt's going to take just a minute, and he's going to um, show you uh, another ministry for you to be engaged, and then I'll finish with the last part of this passage. Okay, so Brother Matt. Good morning. I want to talk to you about a group of our members who exemplify offering themselves as living sacrifices. At this current moment, I still have to talk about them in second person or third, but in a few years, it'll be first person. Does that give you enough of a hint that we're talking about our seniors? There's a lot of words we can use to describe our seniors. Respectfully, we'll call them seniors because they're senior in their experience to us and their age reflects um, that they have lived as warriors for Christ for so many years. And the ministry that surrounds our seniors both is something that they're doing, but also something that we can do for them and with them. I want to read a passage out of Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And I want you to see how there is ministry that is being done toward these elderly members, these experienced members, but also coming from them. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Talking to Titus, Paul says, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the younger men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Do you see that Paul is teaching the evangelist Titus 
to teach, to minister to the older men and women, number one. But secondly, he's saying, so that they may be a pattern to others, that they can turn toward our younger generations and do what our seniors are doing so well in this congregation, so often, so richly. They're teachers among us. They're servants among us. They're oftentimes the last one out of the building after fellowships because they're cleaning up uh, among us. They are out among us. They're some of our most active members, uh, out traveling to visit and bless people. And so there's many things that the seniors are doing. Here are some things that they're doing on a, a little bit more of a formal basis. On Monday nights, a group meets. They're largely a group of seniors, but all are welcome to go to Gene and Cher West's home for a fellowship meal and a Bible study beginning at 6.30. Uh, then on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m., a group meets here in the fellowship hall for a Bible study. And this meeting is a good mix of all ages. And in fact, it's even generated uh, a group of, of uh, children who were coming, some of whom still stay in the main room for Bible study, but the younger now are in a classroom uh, being taught by some of the women. Uh, and from this meeting, Many good works are generated. Sometimes they'll go out to lunch and, uh, and fellowship. Sometimes they'll just go out and serve, visit the hospitals, people that are in the hospitals. And um, you've probably been touched by them at one point in your life. We call that group Helping Hands. On the last Friday of each month uh, is a meeting that uh, takes place with our retired old men eating out. We call it Romeo. They, uh, they, they don't say that they're romantic, but their stories are pretty romantic uh, and uh, sometimes fictitious, but they really like it. Uh, they really like it when younger men come and enjoy the fellowship with them. Uh, frequently, there's a group of seniors, uh, excuse me, I'll catch up, uh, who call themselves young at heart when they travel abroad and uh, go and sightsee and enjoy good fellowship with one another catch up with one another and deepen the relationships with one another and there's many other good works that our seniors are doing and this is where you might ask well what what can I do for them well there's many good things that you can do for them there's often needs that arise uh, that just require a strong back maybe you don't have a strong back but you can cook uh, many times we need to uh, take meals to some of our seniors while they're down or recovering from an illness or a hospital visit Sometimes they need a good driver to take them places. Um, and there's many other things. Maybe you can just deliver some uh, gifts of love to them like they do for us when we're down, just having a caring heart. But we want you to do uh, everything you can to support and encourage them because they are uh, organized and doing all that they can to support and care for the younger generations uh, who are among us. And so, we want to thank them for their wonderful examples of faith. We want to encourage them on in the faith. And we also want to encourage you today, if you'd like to talk to some of our uh, most active seniors, uh, they're going to be in the fellowship hall after service. And you can say, what, what can we do for you? Or can we come and meet with you at a certain time? And they'll help you uh, to learn what you can do. So that's all I have about our seniors. I'll turn it back over to Anthony.
Oh, you're fine. Thank you, Matt. All right, let me finish in Romans chapter 12 with this. What's really going to motivate you to be involved, to be engaged? And you notice Paul, if you spend any time in Romans, Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11 is the most comprehensive, in-depth explanation of the gospel, starting with our sin, moving to the ultimate form of worship at the end of chapter 11, when Paul says, Oh, the depth and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways, who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And in light of this gospel message, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers. Now, he could have, as an apostle, said, I command you, brothers and sisters. What he's about to tell them to do, he could have said, I command you to do this. But actually, he says, I appeal to you. Now, why does he appeal and not command? You probably know this. as uh, If you've been, ever been around children or with children, you probably know what this is like, where you can tell them to do something. But in a moment where you maybe get down on a knee and begin to explain to them and appeal to them, what you're wanting them to do is on their own volition, make a choice. You could tell them to do something, but what you're wanting them to do is come alongside of you and decide to do something. So Paul says, I appeal to you, here's the motivation, by the mercy of God. Offer yourselves because God has been so merciful you the only real genuine motivation that will keep you offering yourselves to god day after day week after week month after month is the mercy of god how merciful he's been to you how generous he's been to you mercy is twofold first of all it is pardon for where you're guilty mercy is being part giving pardon where you're guilty and you and i stand before god as people who have not upheld the very basic Ten Commandments. We just haven't done that. And before a holy God, he is right to say, out of my presence, I cannot stand the presence of sin. And he's, but he's taken care of that. He's, part, he's provided pardon, excuse me, for our guilt. But mercy is also assistance and help in our weaknesses. So he doesn't just look at us and say, you're guilty and I'll forgive you in the blood of Jesus. He says, you're weak and I'll strengthen you. Now, what you and I have to do is sink our teeth daily into this truth, waking up, realizing that God is all-wise, God is all-powerful, but God is also all-loving. And in response to my greatest need, he answered that, not just with his words, but with the word of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate example of somebody who offered himself to God. And when he did that, it ended for his life in death. So that when you and I offer ourselves to God, it ends for us in life. That's why Paul says it is reasonable for you to offer yourself. At the end, he says, this is your reasonable service, or spiritual means logical. This makes sense to do that. This is reasonable for you to offer yourself. And when you see how far God was willing to go and what he was willing to do for you, You'll get it. It's natural. It's logical to say, I'll offer myself for him. When we plant our hearts in the mercy of God, it will grow into a life of service. But you've got to see it. 
One of my favorite hymns, it says, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, it's 742 in your book. Um, the last line says this, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. So if you're kind of wavering on this offering of yourself, let me point you to one place. Love so amazing, so divine. And when you get that, you'll naturally offer yourself to God. If you need to do that today, come as we stand and sing. Some glad morning.